0: Survivor fans know there's nothing more important than a tribe you can trust, and the hunt for the perfect hire can be as tough as winning an immunity challenge. But what if you could just skip the search and just match? Enter Indeed, the ultimate hiring partner. With over 350 million monthly visitors worldwide, according to Indeed data, Indeed is more than a job site. It's your personalized hiring platform. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging, connecting you with candidates at the speed you need. According to a recent Indeed survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches. Indeed is your compass in the hiring jungle. It's a matching engine, not just for hiring, but effortlessly assembling your dream team. Indeed's matching engine learns from your preferences, leveraging over 140 million qualifications daily. The more you use it, the sharper it gets. Join three and a half million businesses worldwide that trust Indeed for fast quality hires. Listeners will get a $75 sponsored job credit at Indeed.com Survivor. Go to Indeed.com Survivor now. Support our show by mentioning you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com Survivor. Terms and conditions apply. Need a hire? You need Indeed.
1: Survivor fans, we are not just surviving, we are thriving with the power of nutrition. Let's talk about wonderful pistachios, a snack that's not only delicious, but also a protein powerhouse. When I was
2: on that island, I would give anything for a snack to keep my energy levels up.
1: Well, did you know wonderful pistachios are one of the highest protein nuts out there? Each one ounce serving gives you six grams of protein, delivering over 10% of your daily value.
2: Whether you're a hardcore survivor or just need a boost during your day, wonderful pistachios are the perfect personal protein stash ready to go whenever hunger strikes. So whether you're cracking open each nut one by one or enjoying the convenience of no shells, wonderful pistachios has got you covered.
1: Outwit, outplay, outsnack with wonderful
2: pistachios. Visit wonderfulpistachios.com to learn more.
0: Welcome to On Fire with Jeff Probst. That's me, and this is the only podcast that takes you inside the making of Survivor from the producers who make the show. I'm the host and showrunner of Survivor, and each week I'm joined by two other television producers, Brittany Crapper, who is a supervising producer on Survivor. Hello. Hello. And Jay Wolf, who doesn't work on Survivor, but is a TV producer and the producer of this podcast. Doing a great job, by the way, Jay. Oh, thanks. Hey, how's it going? Okay, let me set up today's show because it's a very special episode of On Fire with Jeff Probst because today is my day of reckoning. After (laughs) 22 years (laughs) and 44 seasons of overseeing tribal council where players are held accountable for their actions, today I'll hold myself accountable by answering to some of our most controversial twists and advantages. That is our featured topic. So the way we set this up is Jay and Britt pulled the most controversial, not all of them, but the most controversial advantages and twists in Survivor history. And then I also asked you to go out and find what's the consensus about why the people who don't like them are so passionate about not liking them. So today we're going to cover Medallion of Power, Final Three versus Final Two, Second Chance Seasons, we'll combine all of them, Do or Die, 26 Days, Change History, and the Firemaking Showdown. So for each one, I will listen with an open mind and an open heart to the criticism, and I'll respond by explaining the why behind the idea, what, what were we going for, and then I'll share whether or not I think these controversial moments will ever return on Survivor. But first, before we get to that, let's get inside episode nine of Survivor 44, which Brittany and her team produced. Congratulations, Brittany. Thank you. Thank you. So Jay, what stood out to you in this episode?
1: This episode felt like a real turning point. Um, we really got to see the impact of what it's like for them to have no food. Mm. As soon as mm-hmm. rice was introduced, it was like a whole new ball game. It was right. like watching a before and after.
0: Well, I I think that's a great way to phrase it because that before portion that you're talking about that is intentional that was part of the game design of the new era in this sense we met with our doctors we said okay here's our idea we, we're not going to give them anything for this many days so how many days will it take before we see the impact on their cognitive abilities you know to solve a basic puzzle or, or to strategize to you know to use that part of your brain and then we also just wanted to make sure that we weren't going to go so far that would have any real negative impact on their bodies and that's how we arrived at this day. So it's not just, Hey, let's try it. We had a very clear path and it, it ties into the whole ebb and flow of the game design, including like a down day, which is what the players call it when they -hmm. don't have a challenge or they don't have tribal. They typically hate those days, but that's, (laughs) that's not because we couldn't think of anything to do. That is part of the high and the low, the ebb and the flow. And it forces the player to dig into those resources, to try to to be in charge of their mental state as much as possible, even when you're starving. And like, you look at Danny, that guy is in killer mode all day, every day. Baby Tony. Not everybody does that. He's your Tony, right?
3: And that's why those down days are important because it not only gives them a chance to recharge their batteries, but it also gives the players time to bond and build those genuine connections like we saw with Carolyn and her tribe this episode.
1: Yeah, it was really interesting, too, because we've learned so much about Carolyn at this point, it seems like, but we didn't really even get to hear her real story until episode nine. Why did it happen here?
3: I mean, that was Carolyn. Carolyn decided when her story was ready to be told. Um, It organically came out in that moment. So that's where it lived.
0: And I just want to brag on Brittany for a moment and the team, because if you think about that setting, it is a down day. And there's a group of people and they're sort of lounging around camp and then Carolyn just decides she's going to share her story, but it had a very peaceful flow to it. And what I enjoyed was that the pace of that never changed. Carolyn's story was told at that same pace. And, and that's indicative of storytellers who know what they're doing. They're telling you, I got this. Just trust me. We're going to do this story at this pace in this way, because that's what's most fitting. And that was came from Carolyn. And I think it's important to point out, we don't ask players to share their stories. It's never a requirement. In fact, Carolyn had told us up front in casting, I may share my story. I may not. And we've had several great stories on the show where people didn't intend to share it. And we've had people on the show who have amazing stories who didn't want to share it. So when we talked about casting and we said, you know, what's your story and are you good at telling it? We just mean we want to know who you are and this is a part of who you are. It doesn't mean you have to share that with anybody ever. And we would never do that. And we don't, and we didn't hear. That's why it was so late. Carolyn finally felt comfortable enough that she was going to share.
1: The next big moment in the episode for me was the Rice negotiation. And it's really fun for a couple of reasons, but one of which is that it used to be rare to see someone come try to haggle with Jeff Probst and say, oh, well, what if you give us this instead of that? And I thought it was really <laughs> interesting to take that learning and make it a part of the fabric of Survivor.
0: Yeah, you know, it wasn't designed based on that. In fact, I never really thought about it until you said it, but I think you're right in that it is a direct part of the evolution of my relationship with the players where we now can do that and and they can catch me off guard as well and we'll see how it goes but in this case it goes back to what we talked about earlier this is the point in the show where they need some food doesn't mean they have to have it they're not in danger of dying but it's going to be really hard to think clearly moving forward if you don't get some calories in there so when it comes to the negotiation that's part of the earn it of the new era, so if there are 10 players, two's not going to be enough. Eight is too many. So somewhere in there is the negotiation, and I'm fine with talking about it and them trying to persuade me. I have a number in my head, and I will say that I'm guessing at some point we'll have a game where it's so intense and there's so much uncertainty that you can't get the required number of players to sit out, and they won't get rice. And then we'll have to figure out what to do the next day. It will be more expensive because that's survivor inflation. But the game is flowing.
3: And we get the added beat of it happening in the pouring rain, which was awesome. Oh,
1: yeah. Love that. Yeah, Yeah, you could see it in your eyes that you loved it, Jeff. (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile, you watch Carson walk up and he's like, oh, God, I can't believe I have to do this.
0: Yeah, I do love the rain. You're right. But I really liked it in this moment because it added that extra layer. You have immunity you have to decide about. You have rice on the line. The rain is making you really cold. And on top of it, you have to try to make a decision. And you're being judged by people who are watching when you are so depleted in so many ways. So, you know, to your point, Carson is shivering. The bag of rice is right there. All I have to do is sit out. I don't know if I should sit out because I can't think because I'm starving and I'm exhausted and I don't trust any of these people.
1: And Danny's there at the end of the line going, if anybody here sits out, they're not even playing for real.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Killer mode.
3: Yeah, there you go. I mean, think about your own life when you're just a bit tired and you're like, oh, sorry, I'm off, or you get all hangry. And that, like that's just one moment of one day. You're not living in a jungle and trying to survive the social right. politics of a dangerous game while on television.
0: It's a well-designed game, Jay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that much is very clear. And you saw that again With the crazy tribal council that Mm. went down. I mean, what's going through your head,
0: Jeff, when you see the first person stand up? Well, what I think people think I'm thinking is, oh, this makes for great TV. That's not what I'm thinking. What I'm (laughs) thinking is, I'm glad you're standing up because that tells me that you're uncertain and you don't want to go to the vote with that uncertainty. And that's what you should be doing. These people left their lives, their careers. In some cases, they are literally trying to change their life by winning a million dollars, if you think something's wrong, you should stand up and play. And that's why I say to the players at the beginning of the season, tribal council's not over until you say it's over. Uh, Yes, I will run out of questions at some point or I'll be satisfied with our conversation. But if you're not satisfied, and so that's why sometimes you'll even hear me in the show say, are we good to vote? That's me saying, I don't want to say it's time to vote unless I think you're ready to vote. So I love that. And you've seen many times that those conversations changed the result of what was going to happen. So somebody's fate was was bettered and somebody's fate was you know determined by getting up and having a conversation.
1: I also loved in that tribal council when Jam James said that he
0: wanted some subtitles <laughs> and then we got them. Such an inspired idea. Actually,
3: funny story, quite similar to your Mark Burnett story about The Tribe Has Spoken when he asked who took credit for that. Right. Uh, when Matt first saw this, he asked the same question. Where did that come from? <laughs> I laughed because it actually came from him when really? Tribal was happening live. He told one of the producers, you know, make a note to have Jam Jam say wow. that with subtitles. And then, you know, fast forward six months later, we did it. Evan, the tribal editor, put it in there. And Matt was like, oh, wow, this is great. I was like, That's great. yeah, I almost so took Matt's, credit. But-
0: oh, yeah, you should have. So Matt's <laughs> having memory issues too. He can't remember his, his own ideas.
1: One other piece of this tribal that was great is something that you've said before, Jeff, which is that knowledge is power has an effect on the game, even if it's not in the game at all. And yeah. we saw Jamie's idol... Go away because of it.
0: Yeah, we've trumpeted our horn enough on this. But yes, that's why I think it is the perfect advantage. Because to your point, even if it's never in the game again, the threat that it might be causes people to make decisions. Jamie didn't make a bad decision. She made a decision that she thought she needed to make because of the threat of it. So you're going to be wrong a lot. on The only people who are ever always right are the audience because they have all of the information and they're not in the arena. They're the spectator. When you're the player, you're at a disadvantage. So you make your best move on the assumption other players are making their best move. And that's what happens. But I I love when that happens because it says that these players are engaged and they're thinking of possibilities. Sometimes you're right. Sometimes you're not. And the result you want when you're done playing this game really is embodied in Kane's confessional at the end of this episode. I don't know if everybody watches the confessional. It's, you know, it's the very end. It's about 20 seconds. But it's really the voted out player's last words. What I loved about Kane was his last words were, I had a blast. Think about Kane. He he played Dungeons and Dragons. He had the sword. He had all kinds of fun. He sang the Canadian national anthem. He was part (laughs) of Blind Sides and ultimately... He got blindsided, but when it was over, he still had fun. And I'm not saying everybody has to love us or think that we're all great. I'm just saying that's the game we're designing is to make this really big adventure that takes place in a real jungle. And you're playing this really fun, but incredibly complicated game of human poker. And in, in high stakes poker, there is only one winner, which means everybody else loses, but a night of poker is still a lot of fun and that's what i really appreciated about kane and that's what i hope for every player who plays survivor that when you look back on it you will say to yourself okay that was one of the greatest things i've ever done all right when we come back i will answer for some of the most controversial advantages and twists in survivor history this is on fire with jeff Probst. Survivor fans know there's nothing more important than a tribe you can trust, and the hunt for the perfect hire can be as tough as winning an immunity challenge. But what if you could just skip the search and just match? Enter Indeed, the ultimate hiring partner. With over 350 million monthly visitors worldwide, according to Indeed data, Indeed is more than a job site. It's your personalized hiring platform. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging, connecting you with candidates at the speed you need. According to a recent Indeed survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches. Indeed is your compass in the hiring jungle. It's a matching engine, not just for hiring, but effortlessly assembling your dream team. Indeed's matching engine learns from your preferences, leveraging over 140 million qualifications daily. The more you use it, the sharper it gets. Join 3.5 million businesses worldwide that trust Indeed for fast, quality hires. Listeners will get a $75 sponsored job credit at Indeed.com Survivor. Go to Indeed.com Survivor now. Support our show by mentioning you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com Survivor. Terms and conditions apply. Need a hire? You need Indeed.
2: Listen, wearing the same clothes for 26 days straight on Survivor really made me realize the importance of buying high-quality, long-lasting clothes. That's why I love Quince. They have timeless, well-made pieces that last for years and don't go out of style. Quince has all the seasonal must-haves like 100% European linen shirts, performance polos, and versatile flow-knit activewear. Buying pieces from Quince means that I don't have to keep buying new clothes every year, which is better for my wallet and the environment. I recently got a super chic Italian leather tote from Quince and I'm loving how it looks. The best part about Quince is that by partnering directly with top factories, they're able to keep prices super affordable. I'm talking 50 to 80% cheaper than similar brands. And the other best part is that Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices. I love that. Upgrade your wardrobe. Go to Quince.com Survivor for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com Survivor to get free shipping. Shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com/survivor.
0: Welcome back to On Fire. Okay, today we're talking about Survivor's most controversial twists and advantages. And I know what you're thinking, but how will you choose when there have been so many? We're going to talk about why they're controversial and also why we did them in the first place, and if we will ever do them again. And I, Jay and Britt, I want to hear your truth as well. Don't, no need to protect me. I can handle it. So let's get into it. What do you got?
3: All right. Well, first one, this one we only used once, but according to the fans, once was too much. It's the Medallion of Power.
0: And was there any specific criticism beyond this is just dumb? Oh, yeah. There was uh, the Necklace
1: of Boring Challenges.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the, the Necklace of Boring Challenges, I think, really sums it up. So the premise... It was Survivor Nicaragua, our 21st season. And the idea behind it was that whichever tribe had the medallion of power would get an advantage in the challenge. And then once they used it, the other tribe got it and they could use it. But the there was that other layer, which is you didn't have to use it immediately. So you could hold on to it. And so there was some strategy around when you would use it, knowing that after you used it, you had to give it to the other tribe. So the origin story, It was my idea fully came from the place that most ideas come from desperation, (laughs) but I, I went back to my original notes. This has been one of the best parts of this podcast is going and looking back at old diaries or, or creative Bibles and reading what I wrote. This was April 22nd, 2010. This is what I wrote. The medallions of power. They are a form of survivor challenge currency. These medallions hold special power at challenges. Medallions will be inscribed with things like, choose an enemy tribe member to not compete. Get a head start in the challenge. Get an early clue to what the challenge will be. Your tribe is allowed to practice a challenge back at camp. And then I wrote the tribe in possession of the medallion gets to choose when to play the medallion and which twist to use. And then once they've used the medallion, they will give it to the other tribe to use whichever advantages are left whenever they see fit. And my last thing was, I think the major point of this concept is that they have the choice of when they use it and how they use it. Okay. So you got this in your notebook. How then did it make it in the show? Okay, so this was back when Mark would still be a bit involved. He would usually show up just before we were ready to shoot, and he would want to hear what we're doing. So he had heard about the Medallion of Power, and he liked it. But once we started workshopping it on location, it was clear the idea was not ready. It was going to fall flat. And so the day before day one, we're all sitting at a round table. It's me, Burnett, a few other producers. There's a CBS exec there, and we're going through the opening episode Beats And I said, I don't think the medallion of power is going to work. We should kill it. But it already had momentum. And Mark said, no, 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 no. It's great. We're we're doing it. So we did it. And then immediately looked for a natural place to get rid of it. And we we only ended up using it twice. And in both cases, to the point of the boring necklace, the tribe who had the advantage won. And so after, I think we did a tribe swap and then we bailed on it. But I think the bigger question is why didn't it work? And even just reading those notes that I just read, I see the first big mistake. It was centered around challenges. If it had been a one off challenge advantage, that's an advantage. But when you do it every week, all you're doing is negating the whole thing you built the challenge for is to have a competition. And if, you know, when both tribes win because they have the advantage, that tells you there's not a variable here. It's not very interesting. Right. But, but I do think, tell me if you agree that there's something interesting in the idea of a hot potato advantage that in some way would help your tribe. But the minute you use it, the other tribe gets it. And in some way they could then hurt your tribe. There's something in their big picture, but limiting it to challenges, it just didn't work. What'd you think, Jay?
1: Yeah, I, I think that's cool. And I agree. I think a hot potato could be really interesting um, if to play the right way. For this one, it was really, it just felt almost like it was net neutral in that. Right. If you had it, you won. And if you didn't have it, you lost. And it was what it was.
0: Yeah. And it, and it wasted all the energy that our challenge team put into these challenges, (laughs) you know? And so bad idea. This was not the only bad ideas I had that season. I had another one that didn't make it into the show, but this was also in my diary from 2010. What about a former survivor as a reward example? What if a tribe won Aussie to come help them in camp or compete with them in the next challenge? Then I wrote, or what if it was a celebrity? Rachel Ray could do food, or Bob Vila could build a shelter. <laughs> well,
3: <laughs> but fortunately,
0: I mean, nobody heard that idea.
3: Well, I, we didn't have Rachel Ray, but we did have Cochrane come back as a reward, right? Oh, you're right. Yeah. You're right.
0: Maybe this is where that was born. <laughs> yeah, there it you go. It might have been. I forgot. It. Oh, I loved when Cochrane came back. That was, that was so fun. great. It was.
3: Okay, so what do we think? Medallion of Power ever coming back?
0: No, no. Write it down. We will not be doing the medallion of power ever again. I don't know if you bring that music cue in. It might might just work.
1: All right. What else you got? All right. Uh, This controversy is a big one. People love to complain about it all over the Internet. It is the final three versus the final two.
0: Yeah, this one... I you're going to have to help me with this because it does baffle me a little, but the premise is pretty simple. You either have two people at the end or you have three people. What is the big complaint about this?
1: I think it's just that folks find that a final three leads to a less interesting final tribal than a final two.
0: Yeah, that's what I hear. I just don't see any evidence of that. And maybe I'm missing it if we. okay, initially we had a final two. And if you just go back and look at that, because I did in prepping for this, typically what happened is whoever won the final three challenge would go to the person that they knew they could beat and say, hey, let's just get rid of the other person. I'll take you to the end. And so you end up with kind of a hero and a goat, like Survivor 6, the Amazon, Jenna wins 6-1. In Season 7, Pearl Island, Sandra wins, 6-1. Vanuatu, Chris wins, 5-2. Palau, Tom wins, 6-1. Guatemala, Danny, 6-1. Survivor Exile, Aris, 5-2. So there were all these blowouts. When you
1: get to 13, Cook Islands, you finally make the switch to the final three. What's the conversation between 12 and 13 like? when you're making that decision?
0: Well, it, for to me, it was just all that evidence I just gave you, is we just kept having all these blowouts. And so my reasoning is today the same reasoning, which is having to beat two people is more complicated than having to beat one person. An additional person makes it much more unlikely that both players will be seen as having done nothing. You could obviously still have a blowout vote, If the jury all agree that one player dominated, but a blowout vote is not evidence that a final two would have been better. That's where I get a little troubled with the logic that it's less Mm. interesting. Did you find any evidence that would support a final two being better?
3: Yeah, I mean, a few people said that they like the drama of the head to head, that if it comes down to Mm. two people, one who really played and one a goat, that watching the person who got dragged along get roasted and lose in a blowout
0: was dramatic in its own way. I, I see that. What do you two think? Researching this, is the final two sound like something we should look at again? I don't know that
1: it's specific to the two or the three, but I do think there's something to the idea of uncertainty in that there were a few seasons in which it looked like it was going to be a final three, Micronesia, Token Teens, and it ended up with a final two. And there were moments in the gameplay that were really dynamic because the players themselves didn't know if it was going to be a three or two and they had to change their strategies accordingly.
3: Right, I see that. But in, in thinking about, from my point of view, when like when I'm editing the show, I'm then spending a whole scene of precious time in an episode explaining something that could potentially go nowhere, right? Their strategies about, okay, so if it's a final two, it's a final two, it's a final two. And then it's not, it's like, great. We just wasted all that time talking about something that's not going anywhere.
0: I think this is really interesting because both of you are really zeroing in on something cool. Jay, I hear what you're saying about the uncertainty. You're right. That's a great note. And to Brittany's point, if it's just, we don't know That's very hard to tell that story. I think what made those three seasons interesting is something happened that caused the game to change. So then the players were reacting to, to an event rather than just the randomness of us saying, Hey, this season it's a final three or this season it's a final two. Cause my issue with doing that would be how would a player ever trust that we always designed it to be final three or final two. And that, so, but I think I do hear both points. This is, good for me to hear the showdown aspect of one-on-one is good. And the uncertainty of whether it will be or won't be is also good. You just have to find a clever way to get into that, that, that still worked and that you could still tell the story and that the players weren't just sitting there going, well, who knows what it's going, what's it going to be?
1: So it sounds to me like you're perhaps a bit more open because my next question was, are you ever going to go back to the final two?
0: Well, I was prepared to say absolutely not, but I like what has been said today. I just would have to find a way into it. So for now, because I want to be on the record, unless there were extenuating circumstances, like those seasons you mentioned where something happened, or we came up with some theme, you know, where there were two sides and one person from each side ends up in the end and they end up in a showdown. If you could find a way in like that, Then possibly. But for right now, I want to be on the record. Are we doing final three again? Yes.
3: Okay. All right. Well, for the next one, we're going to put all the second chance seasons together. So the Outcast Tribe, Redemption Island, and Edge of Extinction. The most common complaint from people who hate this idea is that they just believe that once you
0: are out, you should be out. Yeah. And I get that. And we've talked about this a lot, so I don't want to rehash it. But from the big picture standpoint, if you believe that the format calls for once you're out, you're out, then that's what you think. I get that. I just see it differently. And so I like the idea of a second chance. And I think that as long as the jury decides in the end who the winner is, then you can do a lot of things within the within the box of the format like a second chance idea. But I want to give each of them their due. So let's – even though you grouped them together, let's take them – one at a time. The Outcast tribe was season seven, Pearl Islands. And the premise for somebody who might not remember or maybe hasn't even seen that season is after the first six players had been voted out, we gave them a chance to come back and they ran a challenge in which two of them would get back in the game and two other players would be voted out. Here's the truth. This was not my idea. I didn't like the idea. I pushed back on the idea as hard as I could, but I just didn't have enough power. Why didn't you like it? Several reasons. Most importantly, I just felt that we should have told them up front that there's, there's going to be a twist and some of you will get a chance to get back into the game. The other thing that I just didn't agree with, and this is totally subjective, is that we knew they were going to go to Ponderosa and that's where the players go when they're voted out. But at Ponderosa, you can sleep and you can eat and and shower. I mean, these are all huge advantages. Had we told them up front that those players who are voted out will have a twist. And that twist is they're going to go get rehydrated and they're coming back. Then it changes how you vote them out and it changes how you receive them back into the game. So that's it. Again, it's subjective, but I didn't like it. So no outcast twist ever again, I'm assuming. Never. Not, not like we did it in Pearl Islands. Not when you can go back to Ponderosa. But it sounds to me like that was because of the poor execution
1: of Outcast, not the idea of the second chance, because a couple of years later, we got Redemption Island.
0: Well, yeah. And again, this is about subjectivity, because clearly I took the idea of Outcast and then formed it in a different way. And the premise of Redemption Island was we told everybody up front and we said, here's what's going to happen. When you are voted out, you're going to go to another island where you're going to have to live alone. And then when another player joins you, you're going to have to show down in a duel. And the winner will stay alive and continue to live on Redemption Island. And the losers then out of the game for good. And at the merge, somebody will get in. And at the end, somebody will get in. What I liked about it was it added layers to the test of this adventure. Living alone is big. That is big. Those islands are dark and they're scary at night and they're lonely. And then competing in a one-on-one duel where there is nowhere to hide it's kind of a do or die situation is also very big. And then finally, if you do earn your way back into the game, you got to navigate your way back into the social game. And if the players don't want you back, they can just simply vote you out, which I'm pretty sure they did that season. <laughs>
3: <laughs> right. So yeah. So Redemption Island is just a different take on second chance. No comparison to Outcast. And you told them up front what was happening.
0: Yeah. And whether you like the idea or not, I thought it was fair because as I said, the tribe is in charge of the decision. So even though somebody's going to get back in the game, if you don't want them in, they decide who stays and who goes.
1: And though this wasn't part of the design necessarily, it did lead to one of my very favorite survivor moments.
0: Russell Hance.
1: Oh yeah. I mean, inviting back (laughs) Austin Rob and Russell Hance. And I remember I watched this show, you know, straight through over COVID and, uh, I was very thrilled because I loved to hate Russell, and when I got to see him again, teary-eyed, it was pretty magical.
0: Well, it's great because Hans had played back-to-back seasons and was never voted out. 39 days back-to-back, super impressive, but he hadn't won, so... You bring him back. And as you say, Jay, he's a big time villain, which doesn't mean everyone hates him. Some people loved him because of his villainous ways and other people quote unquote hated him because he was a villain. So when he lost, and as you said, he got teary eyed. But the big moment that I remember was burning his buff because when we, when we. Figured that out as our final twist. It was so personal because the buff is a player's identity. It's the thing they want the most when the game is over. They want that buff because they wore that buff. That's their dirt. That's their sweat. That's their blood. So seeing that buff burning in the fire was pretty epic.
1: So do we ever see Redemption Island again? Well. (laughs) That sounds to me like a maybe.
0: (laughs) Well, It's funny because I'd kind of forgotten about Redemption Island, but now that we're talking about it, I do like the overall concept, like when I just said it back again, that you live alone and you compete in duels. But I think we evolved the idea of Redemption Island with Edge of Extinction. So thinking through it, the good news is I would say Redemption Island is dead.
3: Well, that brings us to Edge of Extinction. And there are so many people that don't like this idea, as I would even go as far as maybe saying hate.
0: Yeah, it's definitely a polarizing idea. And it it probably won't surprise anyone that this is the second chance version that is the most satisfying to me from a story standpoint. And the reason is, I, I mentioned this in an earlier episode, I always saw Edge of Extinction as a way to push players. To do a bigger test that might hopefully lead to a spiritual death and rebirth. I mean, it's very difficult on the edge. We designed it to make survivor, regular survivor, seem like a vacation. And <laughs> when you really boil it down, it's the same thing. You can say it's unfair they got a second chance, but it is the jury who makes the decision it's their world it's their society it's their game and i always ask the same question sort of philosophically can the jury ever be wrong
1: right because when chris underwood comes back from the edge and he wins you know a lot of the audience are upset because they thought he had an unfair advantage because he spent so much time getting to know the jury and those who were still in the game didn't get that chance
0: That's true. He did. He also won his way back into the game from the edge. That's a gnarly challenge that one person wins. He then won the final four challenge. He then gave up his spot at final three to take Devon's on in fire. And he won that. And the, and he then persuaded the jury that he deserved to win the game. And this is not going to be a popular answer. And I don't mean any disrespect, but I do think Chris also had the other perfect two players sitting next to him. The jury just didn't respect their game as much.
3: Yeah. And I'm not sure he wins if he doesn't do everything that you just listed off. I think it was a perfect storm of all of
1: it. Well, that, that reminds me of one thing that you say on the show, Jeff, which is that you have to play as if your opponent is playing the best game that they're playing. And if you're doing that in this scenario, it's almost like if you, the survivor player, thinks that going to Edge of Extinction is the best advantage you can possibly get, then maybe you should get yourself sent to Edge <laughs> of Extinction.
0: I agree. <laughs> if you think that volunteering to be voted out of the game so you can go live with nothing on the edge so that you can then work the jury. And then you have to be the one player that wins their way back into the game. And then you have to win your way to the end. And then you have to volunteer to take on fire and you have to win that. And then you have to convince the jury. If you think that's a good strategy, and I'm not being sarcastic, some player may do that someday, then you should do it. Seems like a lot of work. (laughs) <laughs> just a little.
3: Uh, so Edge of Extinction, we do that again?
0: Yes, absolutely. I think you could see it for a returning player season or some kind of a special season. I Just as evidence, winners at war, you get 20 winners to come back and play. You don't want to see two or three of them gone in the first few days. I don't. I like seeing them still in the game, fighting for another shot. That's part of the fun is watching these familiar people. So maybe we wouldn't do it in a regular season, but I could see doing it in a special season.
1: All right. Here's the next one. A very popular um, controversy. Do or die.
0: Yeah. Okay. Do or die happened late in the game. And the twist was that the first person that fell out of the individual immunity challenge must play a game of chance, a tribal council called do or die. And it had very big stakes because if you lose do or die, you're out of the game. But if you win do or die, you're safe and you can't be voted out at that night's tribal council. And then we go to a regular vote and somebody else goes home. It's another idea I will fully own. And the idea was designed to test how well you knew where you stood in the game with your alliance, how safe are you? Because if you think about it, if you feel good about your alliance and you know, you're not going home, then just sit out of the challenge and you don't have to risk playing do or die. But on the flip side, if you're concerned that you're in trouble, then a, you know that you have to compete in the immunity challenge and try to win immunity. But this do or die twist offered another decision point. Do I get in the challenge and try to win the challenge? Well, that depends on who else is in the challenge. Who are you competing against? Or do I just drop out immediately to ensure that I'm the one that gets to play do or die? It's risky, but you do this if you know you're in trouble because you take the vote out of the hands of your tribe. With do or die, there is no vote. So if you survive, you stay in. So I didn't ever see it as a penalty. I always saw it as an opportunity because you know that one player needs do or die. Somebody's going home. And if you know it's you, then it's an advantage. We did it twice, and both players, Lindsay and Deshawn, survived. That's really interesting,
1: because I never really thought about it this way, but it's almost like a better version of Shot in the Dark, better meaning that your odds are much better.
0: Yeah, I mean, theoretically, if you play the game the way you're supposed to play, you end up with a 66% chance of of being in the game. Here's where I dropped the ball. I didn't explain it in a way that made it clear why it was in the show and and the way I said it I think the players felt that it was a potential punishment for losing cuz that's kind of how I said it and they didn't see it as an opportunity. They may have still not liked it, but I would have felt a lot better if I would have been clear as to why it was in the game.
1: So knowing all that, do you do it again?
0: No not not in its current state not with do or die stakes at tribal council but i like the do or die game itself i like the way the art department designed it with the three little boxes and flame and skull that could find its way like as a risk reward game on a journey or something like that so Mm. but you can mark it down do or die is dead that's a no
3: Okay. So this next one gets a ton of hate on the internet as well. It's uh, a lot of people want the game to go back to 39 days. So (laughs) talk to us about, you know, the choice to make it 26.
0: Okay. Well, I'll be brief with this because we have talked about this a lot, but just to remind everyone, the 26 days was inspired and kind of required as an answer to COVID because the only way we could shoot was to never leave. Because of all the COVID protocols, Once we got to Fiji, we had to do a 14-day quarantine. And if you ever left, you'd have to come back and do another 14-day quarantine. So the only answer was you can't leave. That means if we had done our two seasons of 39 days back-to-back with the 14-day quarantine, it would have been well over 100 straight days for our main crew and 190 days for our advanced team. We'd be stuck on this little one-mile island without ever leaving. And to shoot that many days back-to-back in those conditions because Survivor's a tough shoot, it's just too much. It would have been 78 shoot days with a two-day break. It would have been our version of Edge of Extinction, (laughs) come to think about
1: it. (laughs) Yeah, that that sounds like a spiritual death with little chance of rebirth.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Right. Okay, so... We had to reimagine how we can shoot because we need to shoot. So we started looking at a shorter schedule that we thought would be achievable from a production standpoint. And you start with just the number of days. How many days can we do this and still you know, survive on our own? So we ended up at 26 days. And you think of that, you're going to do two of those plus the 14-day quarantine and getting there early and all that. So that gets us down to around 75 straight days for the majority of the crew and like a hundred days for our advanced team, that's still a very long time, but it was doable. So then you look at it from the standpoint, okay, challenges and tribal. Can we do all of this? If we're reducing the shoot by what is essentially a third, can we still pull it off?
3: And the 26 days was a big part of creating the new era, that new game design design.
0: Exactly. Because the next thing you do is, okay, let's do 26 days. Now you have to figure out how do you make 26 days as difficult and as fun as 39 days. And we like this new design. We do think it's a fun game that forces players to rely on their instincts by making faster and riskier decisions, which puts a premium on having the right information and alliances you can trust. So when you look at what we put into that, With the faster pace and the smaller tribes and the no food and the limited supplies, you got to earn everything. You have risk-reward games. You have beware advantages. We felt like we did birth a new version that was going to be fun for the players. And I feel like these first four seasons live up to that.
1: So to be fair to those who don't like it, though, you still could have been finished with it after the COVID restrictions ended.
0: That's true. We could have. But for all the reasons that I just stated, we really like it. And I know it's a different game and I totally understand going back to 39 days. It's subjective. I'm just saying, I don't think 26 days, ask any player who's gotten to the end of 26 days. There is no juice left in that tank. It is a very tough game. So you can't compare eras. It's not, I get the players who played 39 days and they say, well, it's a different game. It is a different game. But I would say to those players who have not played this version, you don't know this game. It's not less, it's just different. And that's part of what we do on the show is we just try to evolve it and take it new places and see where it leads us.
3: So 26 Days is here to stay.
0: Yes. 26 days. Never say never. I'm not saying we couldn't end up doing 39 days, but it would be for some kind of a special season or something where we were forced to extenuating circumstances. We had to do something like 39 days. But in terms of for the record and the yes or no scoreboard, yes, 26 days is here to stay. In fact, we're doing it for Survivor 45. So weep on that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Next one up. And I think we're all excited to hear about this one. Change history.
0: Okay. Mm. Let me just say up front, and maybe we just don't even have to talk about this one. There's no defense. I'm not, I'm not defending at all. I, it didn't work. I fully own it. Players didn't like it. Fans didn't like If I could give myself my own, you know, necklace, I'd give what myself what, a what necklace. Kind of, right? What kind of necklace? I would, I would call it the Necklace of Transgression. And and I'd have to wear it. I'd have to wear this necklace for the rest of time, like a bad tattoo as a reminder of my bad decision. And it would be very heavy. So I'd have to lean over when you put it on and I'd hunch when I walked, which would be a signal even to the uninitiated. Oh man, that dude clearly did something really bad. That's how bad I feel about change history.
1: Well, let's just state the premise for anyone who doesn't know Uh, why you feel so bad.
0: Do we really? Okay. Here's the real premise a group of players worked very hard to earn something very valuable, and then the change history twist took it away.
3: Okay. So clearly, (laughs) in hindsight, you don't like it. But what made you try it in the first place?
0: All right. Well, I'll give you the philosophical answer you're just constantly trying to ensure that the show remains interesting. And so, with respect, To the critics of these ideas it is always easy to critique what doesn't work after it doesn't work but you don't always know if it's if it's going to work and so in that sense i'd still rather be in the arena coming up with ideas like change history than i would be sitting on the outside just critiquing the ideas but as for the logistics of how it ends up in the show i had the idea of change history for seven years and it always felt too severe so we never did it that should have been enough But as we were laying out Survivor 41, this is before we start shooting. We're just figuring out what we want to do. I put it back on the whiteboard. And then when we got to the merge, Matt and I were talking and we realized, oh, and we should make them earn the merge. And that's when I saw the opening. That's where change history could go because they'll never see that coming. And to make things worse, I didn't tell them up front. It's kind of the outcast twist. I think I got a little in love with the idea of the surprise. Had I said, by the way, there's a twist. One player will have historic power. And as the winners, you can send one of your own. If you all want to be in charge of that historic power, or you can let somebody else be in charge. But then they would have known. Maybe they wouldn't have liked the idea anyway, but they would have known what was coming and they would have been in charge. But see, I'm now I feel like I'm defending. I'm not defending. I'm really just trying to take you in the thought process. I don't like the idea. But this is another case of you're in it. You've got momentum. 41 is a full reset, and we went for it. I mean, that was also the season I started talking directly to the audience. I'm sure some people would put that on this list as well. (laughs) We also did a thing called game within the game because I wanted younger viewers to have their own game to play. So we tried a lot of new things, but I was reminded of a really big lesson. You have to shoot holes in your ideas. And if you can't patch those holes, then walk away. So I think in this case, the producer part of me shut down the host part of me and the host should have known better. This is not going to work, but I want to be clear. This is mine. I own it. It didn't work. So it's safe to say we won't be seeing this again. No, we will not. And but dare I say I do like the name change history? I think that, yes, I think you shouldn't say that, Jeff. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right, let's get an update on the scorecard.
1: All right. So medallion of power is not coming back. The final three is coming back. Second chance is coming back. 26 days. Is coming back. Uh Uh-oh. But do or die is not coming back and change history. Safe to say not coming back. So it's three to three, and we have just one left. So I think we settle the score with perhaps the most controversial twist of all, fire making.
0: All right, so let's take a quick break. When we come back, I'll respond to this final controversy and we'll answer your questions. Plus, even after all this, one lucky fan still gets to tell me why I suck as if I haven't heard it enough. We'll be right back. Okay, let's get into the last of our controversial advantages and twists, fire making. The crown jewel of Reddit's discourse. Oh yeah, they hate it. Okay, well, the premise is If you make it to the final four, you can no longer be voted out. That's the big twist. You will either win immunity or the person who wins immunity will take you to the final three, or you'll have to square off against the remaining person in a fire making showdown. And the winner of that showdown gets to go to the final three and the loser is out and becomes a final member of the jury.
3: I must say, I actually disagree with the haters on this. I really like fire making.
0: Well, this is an idea that I will fully own as well. It started with my frustration That the way the format played at the very end was, here's what you have. Idols can only be good until final five. And that's just based on math. Because if you were to let an idol go to the final four, then you could end up in an unbreakable tie where you have one person wins the immunity challenge, so they're safe. And another player has an immunity idol, so they're safe. And that leaves two players and they can only vote for each other. So if there's a deadlock tie, there would be no way to end it. So what often happened is that a strong, likable player might make it all the way to the final five. And once they got to four, there was no way other than the immunity challenge for them to save themselves. So if they lost, the other three just ganged up and took them out. That always felt off to me. And I know you can argue that's the game. I get that. I'm just saying for me, it was a major letdown. And I heard from years of fans who agreed. So one day we just decided we're going to change it. And the philosophy now is this, an idol can get you to final four. And if you make it to four, you can no longer be voted out. You have a chance to save yourself by doing something that has been fundamental to your survival for the entire game, making fire. And look at it this way. If you've been a good tribe member and you've done your part to make fires for the tribe, it may pay off for you at the end with a million dollar fire. If you've never made fire for your tribe, yeah, you may be at a disadvantage in the showdown, and it may cost you a million dollars, but the choice is yours. You have many, many, many days to practice firemaking, and you know that it is our Final Four challenge.
1: Last season, a lot of fans were very upset when Jesse lost, and they blamed it on this firemaking challenge.
0: Well, yeah, they were sad because Jesse was so popular. But blaming the fire-making challenge makes no sense because without the fire-making showdown at Final Four, Jesse would have been a 3-1 vote out. We would all showed up to tribal. We had a nice conversation about what a great guy he is, but he's just too big of a threat. And Gabler and Owen and Cassidy would have voted him out. Same result just way less dramatic, and I think way less fair to Jesse as he would have had zero shot at protection. Had Jesse won that challenge, they would have loved it. It would have been so dramatic, and then he goes home with the million dollars. So that is more about what the result was, not really the method for, for how we got there. So it's here to stay. Yes, it's here to stay, for sure. And I just want to say, I want to finish by acknowledging that I know that not everyone hates these twists and that some fans are open to us trying things because that is how you find new wrinkles. In fact, just yesterday, I ran into a family that I often see in Hawaii. They're the nicest family. It's Becky and Jay are the parents and they've got three girls. They're from Canada, but they live in Hawaii. And every time I see them, we stop and talk because they're huge Survivor fans. So I saw them and they mentioned we're really enjoying the podcast. They mentioned both of you by name and your contributions. That was really nice. nice. But I told them, I said, hey, we're going to be doing an episode on controversial twists and advantages. And I went down the list and I said, lay it on me. Just tell me what you don't like. And Daisy took a moment and said, honestly, we just like Survivor and we like it when you try things. Now, maybe they were just telling me what they thought I wanted to hear, but I, <laughs> I, I would be disingenuous if I didn't say that I think there are a lot of families who don't spend much time focused on hating an idea. They're just enjoying Survivor and they enjoy that we're trying new things. And of course, sometimes they like, one thing more than another, but I just don't want this whole episode to make it feel like everybody hates Survivor because I don't think that's the case, but I love the criticism because it does. To Even today, you all have given me some really good things to think about. So who knows in the future what will happen? All right, Jay, let's get to some questions. What do you have?
1: All right. Uh, and as a reminder, if you have a question for us, you can email us at com, and I will read those questions. I might even read one here like this one. Hello, big fan, yada, yada. I'll get straight to the point. Jeff, in season 40, were you at all tempted to make the podium idol real when Adam tried to play it? Thanks, Nick.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Ah, good old Adam Klein. I gotta say, I loved his willingness to just go for it because he's right, you never know. I do know what Nick is getting at. It would have been such a shocker if Adam was right, but no, we wouldn't change the rules just to make for a fun moment. And when it comes to tribal. I want to be clear, and this is for future players as well. We have avoided hiding anything simply because we don't want players tearing Tribal Council apart. So I think it's highly unlikely we will ever make any part of Tribal Council any kind of an advantage. And I'm not saying that so we can set up a player for next season. I'm saying it so that players don't go tearing down Tribal Council looking for an idol. That's the truth. All right, here's question number two.
1: I have a question about the slow-mo shots when you set up a challenge. Earlier this season, you show the sword and shield with water buckets dumping out around them. Do you go to the tribes ahead of the challenge and take back the idols? Or do you shoot these moments after the challenge before the tribes head back to their beaches? Just a small detail, but I'm curious about every behind-the-scenes detail. Thanks,
0: Lisa. It's a really great question from a very astute viewer. Here's the truth. We have a second set. And we use those only for these introductory challenge shots, and that's all they're used for. But our official, the tribal immunity or the official immunity necklace, once we introduce that into the game, that stays with the tribes. We're never taking it back, and they get dirty and muddy, and sometimes they get broken and beat up, and that's part of the fun. But we just have a second set, and our team comes in and shoots them in creative ways that have nothing to do with when the challenge is being run.
1: That's cool. I never knew that. All right, here's question three. I've always had a question about the show that I'm hoping you can answer. Why does Jeff wear shoes and socks on the beach instead of sandals? <laughs> it seems to me that they would get full of sand and might even get wet. Is he afraid to let the world see his toes?: <laughs> Thanks, Jenny.:
0: Oh, I have so many thoughts to this question. OK, first off, uh, we actually have a rule for our production team, which is no open-toed sandals are allowed on any set because of the risk of injury it is a real jungle and you can mess yourself up with with one wrong step as for me i do run a lot during the challenges and so it's really for the same reason i don't want to smack my foot into some piece of coral or a big rock or a giant root i like i like my toes and yes (laughs) my shoes do get wet and sandy uh she's right but i just set them out in the sun and let them dry it's this is survivor come on of course, I go home and get a pedicure, but I mean, that's a whole different thing. <laughs> All right, Jay, let's get into it. My favorite segment of the show. This is why you suck. This
1: is why you suck.
3: All righty, here we go. Hi there. Love the podcast, but come on. I've been watching since season two, and we have a routine in this house, homemade pizza night, et cetera. Anyway, part of that routine is just before I hit play on the DVR, I prep my best probed impression and announce, previously on Survivor, right before he says it. But wait, he doesn't say it anymore. These last few seasons, my flow and ceremony are completely kaput. What gives? This is why Jeff sucks. Seriously, though, love you guys. Mike.
0: Uh, Britt, you were nice to me this week. A suck (laughs) that actually makes me smile. Uh... Okay, first of all, I, I love that Mike has a routine, and I love the fun of, of anticipating a line that you know is coming and trying to nail the timing. Here's the truth. We just don't have enough time in the episodes right now. Our show has expanded so much, and we're endeavoring to take you on a deep, fun, exciting journey with the players. And even though it doesn't seem like it's much time, a previous on is probably 20 to 30 seconds. And as Britt can attest to you, that is a lifetime in an episode of television. And what some fans might not understand is that when you're airing on a broadcast network like CBS, we're still limited to how much time we have. We're on from eight to nine. It's the same time every week. It's down to the second. It's not like a streaming service where your episodes can be as long as you want. So those 30 seconds, they're precious, but I do have a story about the line previously on Survivor. The first time we did it back in season one, I read the line like this previously on survivor. And then I saw the cut, and the editor had shortened the time between on and survivor. So it sounded like this previously on survivor. And so I went back and I go, No, no, I really, I really want to have a pause in there. (laughs) Then they looked at me like I was crazy. And I go, No, I first, I want it to sound unique and I want to brand the word survivor. So it's previously on survivor. And I thought that was important to say the name of the show. And the other thing I wanted to do was I wanted to read it fresh each week, which also annoyed the editors because normally with a line like that, you do one take and they just use it the entire season over and over. But all of these little details were important to me. And the funniest part is that when our kids were little and the show might be on, they would make fun of that same line. (laughs) I remember them and they would imitate me with an over-the-top important voice and they'd go, previously on Survivor. (laughs) But I like them too. And maybe for this controversial twist, we'll put a question mark. Maybe they will be back. Maybe we'll find a way to get them back into the show. All right. Well, I really enjoyed this episode of On Fire with Jeff Probst. It's about time I was held accountable and I liked hearing the different ideas. And I remain open to those that I said I would remain open to. All right. Our featured topic next week is shooting survival. That's the camera department, the sound department, the drones, our high speed, those cool super slow-mo shots, underwater. How do we capture it all and make it look and sound so good? We're going to get into all of it. All new episodes of Survivor 44 every Wednesday night, 8, 7 central on CBS and Paramount+. Plus. Thank you for listening to the podcast and to those of you who've taken a moment to go rate and review it. We really appreciate that. And we will see you all next week.